Well, this morning, I want to talk about uh, warring with worry. Uh, worry. Is there anyone here who doesn't have a hard time not worrying? I, I, I don't know if there's any of us who could say that. Worry is something we all deal with. Uh, the question is, how do we deal with it? It's what happens when the concerns that we have get hijacked by fear. Uh, because, you know, concern in and of itself is a good thing. It's an appropriate response to the uncertainties that we come across in life on a day-to-day basis. And concern can be a constructive thing. It motivates us to take action. But at a certain point, it crosses the line and worry pushes it over a cliff. And it turns um, a concern into something that's destructive and, and paralyzing. That's what worry does. It's, it's a lot like a ghost, like a ghost that haunts uh, the inside of our minds, roaming around, reminding us of all of the things that could happen, right? All of those worst-case scenarios. This could go wrong. That could go wrong. Uh, And there's basically no part of our lives that's exempt from from worry jumping in and creeping into. Uh, So we worry about our our jobs, uh, about being able to pay the bills, about our health, about our grades, about our relationships, uh, about the future, about the economy, about global warming, um, our families, what people think of us. The list could just go on and on and on. uh, There's a lot lot of things to worry about. And at the heart of it, we, we worry because we're living in a world that's bigger than we are. We're living in a world that's outside of our control in so many ways, right? So, so isn't it true that on a day-to-day basis, so much of what happens, we don't get the say in, right? It's just beyond us. And that's the reality that if it's not filtered correctly, it can produce worry in our lives. And the research shows that worry doesn't produce anything positive, in any of us, causes things like stress and anxiety, irritability, sleeplessness, ulcers, you name it. It just goes on and on. These are the byproducts of this enemy in our lives called worry, and it unloads it in our lives on a regular basis. So so the question then is, what do we do about it? What do we do about worry? Is worry just the enemy that we have to just figure out how to live with? Or is there a way to actually win this war against it? Um, It seems to me like the prevailing strategy, at least in our culture, is worry can be defeated if you just accumulate enough wealth, right? The theory is the more money you have, the less susceptible you will be to the uncertainties and the less, therefore, you'll have to worry about. But that's not true. Uh, at least according to research. The research doesn't bear that out. There was an issue of um, U.S. News and Daily Report, and in there, there was an article saying, here's what it's entitled, What Rich People Worry About. And it says, You might think that people with a lot of money would be immune from the everyday worries that gnaw at regular middle-class people, but they worry more than you think, often about the same things that keep the rest of us up at night and sometimes about other issues that don't even make it onto our radar. So among the top 10 worries of the top 10% is things like this, having enough money for retirement. So apparently having more 
doesn't relieve you from the anxiety about having enough. That tells you something about uh, the love of money. Um, Also, the worry is over being sued. Uh, 60% more than the average income earner. Apparently, the more you have, the more there is to lose, right? Um, Identity theft is another concern. Over 25% more of a concern it is than for, for the middle class. And and then there's also keeping up with the Joneses, um, the brand name of your college, the zip code that you live in, the car in your driving. It says all, all of this, um, the te- all of this matters to the wealthy. They, they tend to be more competitive, so these things mean more to them than they do to the rest. Keeping up with the Joneses, or in their case, the Buffets or the Gates, takes on a meaning that produces even more anxiety for them than it does for the rest of the population. So sorry to break the news to you. If that is your strategy, accumulate wealth to exempt myself from worry, it's not going to work. Uh, that's a bad strategy. It's, we, we need something better and deeper. And this morning, we want to look at the strategy that Jesus laid out. If you have your Bible, turn it up to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, we're going to read what he had to say about this battle that is real, but um, that reality is that this is a war that can be won, and, and the passage kind of maps out how that can happen. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, and before we read it, I just want to um, just predicate it and say this, that don't think of what we're going to read through here as some kind of uh, therapeutic technique. So, so what we're going to read is not a coping mechanism that you can just kind of like, okay, let me take what's here and try to lay it on top of my life as is, and then I can determine whether it helps me worry a little bit less or not. That's, that's how, that's how um, coping mechanisms are usually thought of. But this is in a completely different category because what Jesus is about to lay out here, it's actually comprehensive. It covers all of life. It's an invitation to reorient everything about the way that we live through, through an entirely different set of lenses. And so here's, here's what it says. I'm going to read the entire passage here, and then we'll go back and, and break it open. It says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is, life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." So, uh, so that's Jesus' instruction, and we're just kind of break it open. Um, 
just one section at a time. He starts out by, by identifying the reason why worry is such a problem. It's a problem that can't be ignored. It has to be attended to. And uh, he says, first of all, because it's like a weight that drags us down. Uh, he says, we're meant to live for more than stressing out over the lesser things. And that word, more, I think that's a key that breaks open this whole passage. Because worry causes us to live for less, not for more. And we miss out on the more of what life is meant to be about. So the idea is we're meant for more than just fretting about putting food on the table and stressing out over whether we'll have clothes to wear or paying the bills or keeping the heat on or not getting fired, those kind of things. And, and it's not to say that any of those things aren't important. Of course they are. But worrying over them that brings us into this mode of existence that's sort of like survival mode, right? And according to Jesus, that is not any kind of way to live. When we carry around that weight of worry, it, it shuts us down. It shuts down our vision. It shuts down our joy. It steals away our peace and our passion, and it turns us into a shell of the person that God wants us to be, that he made us to be. So the worry of war, it, it needs to be one because God doesn't want us to just get by and survive. He intends for us to thrive. And so that's the weight of worry. Uh, but he also talks about the waste of worry. And, and, and you probably already know that worrying accomplishes what? Nothing, right? Jesus asked the question, where does all this fretting and stressing out get, to you, get you? What does it produce? Does it add a single hour to your life? We all know the answer. The answer is no, but we also know that it sure can subtract hours from our lives. Uh, worry's not a life giver, uh, it's a life taker. And, and, so, and so with that in mind, it, it would be so nice if we could just reduce this to all we needed to know is get that information. It's just a matter of awareness, right? Now, now that we've been informed that worry is not doing us any good, then we can just shut it down and stop worrying, Easy fix, right? It's like flipping the light switch. You just turn it off. But um, the thing is, you already knew worry was no good for you, right? I'm not telling you anything new yet at this point. Uh, The challenge is not about awareness. It's not that we didn't have the information about worry. The, The challenge is that even though we know we shouldn't worry, can't stop it, right? How do we stop and, and that's the challenge. That's the problem. And according to Jesus, it's not about just stopping one thing. It's about starting another thing. It's not just about eliminating worry. It's about replacing it and, and intentionally overriding what's going on inside our heads, what our minds choose to dwell on. Override the restless thoughts with the reality of who your heavenly Father is. That's what this is about, who your heavenly father is. And so take note that this instruction that Jesus is giving to us, it has nothing to do with changing or adjusting your outside situation. So Jesus doesn't say, change your environment. Like, you know, move to Florida, get away from this cold, you know, get to the warm weather, um, go to a place where the pace is a little slower. And while you're at it, maybe just lay off the caffeine, you know, that'll, that'll help you, um, all those things may be good, but they don't really get to the heart of the issue. This strategy, it isn't about setting, 
changing our setting. It's about changing our, our minds. That's the place where the battle is won, in the mind. It's won by daring to believe two transforming truths about God, who, what we believe about God. The first is to dare to believe that you matter to God, and the second is to dare to believe that he will take care of you. Sounds simple, um, but when those two realities start sinking into the depths of our souls, that's when the war starts getting won. So Jesus drives this point home by highlighting these two everyday realities. He uses them as illustrations so we would understand what's at stake here. Look outside, go to nature, um, and that is a good place to go, right? When you're worried, when you're stressed out, um, it's a good idea to get outside, escape the screens, escape the walls, and just go for a walk. We live in a beautiful part of the country, right? There's like one week left of fall, I think. We were driving yesterday and just beautiful leaves. You know, right now, it's still just that last touch before that goes away, but it's so gorgeous to get outside, and sometimes we need to step away from all that stuff and, and just take in the grandeur of creation. And, and what we see there, what Jesus points out first is this exhibit one of the birds. He says, consider the birds that, and take note that they're not flying around frantically, right? They're not stressing out about where the next worm is going to come from. The birds are singing, they're, they're flying, and, and it's not that they're lazy, they're active, they're involved. The early bird still gets the worm, right? But the birds know how to work without getting worked up. That's the challenge for us, right? They're, they're not just flying around in some kind of frenzied panic. They're not stressing out. Um, and yet, the amazing thing is that somehow they always seem to have enough. They get by. The birds do all right. And the bottom line reason, according to Jesus, is because there is a God who takes care of them. That's what it comes down to. And that's the first time in this passage God gets mentioned. Uh, when, when worry starts to stress you out, when you feel it rising up in your body, and your mind, uh, get God into the picture, ASAP. Because so many times we can assume that we're on our own, that he's not a part of this, and that's where things start going, going wrong. See, what the birds know instinctively we have to intentionally remind ourselves about that the God that's described in this passage, that the God who is at work in our lives, he is not the God who is out there watching us from a distance, taking just a backseat, you know, kind of uh, posture in our lives. He's not far off and removed. He is close. He is near. He is involved. He's the heavenly father who cares for the birds and for his children. I love that he puts it in a term that we can relate to, that, that bond, that secure bond before, between father and child that just gives us a tiny glimpse of how God chooses to involve himself in our lives. And so Jesus, after sharing that illustration, he just throws out this question that he invites us to ponder. Are you not much more valuable than they there's the birds and there's you. If God cares about the birds, are you not more valuable to him than they are? That's, 
That's the question. And, and what it's getting at is that in the eyes of your heavenly Father in heaven, do you matter? Right? The answer, if you dare to believe it, is yes, you do. You're not an afterthought. You have a heavenly Father who treasures you. And what that means by way of comparison then is that if the Father takes care of the birds in the air the way that he does, then we can rest assured, we can take it to the bank that he cares for us, that he cares for you, that he will take care of you. You're, you're not on your own. You matter to your maker. All right, that's the first illustration. There's a second illustration. Number two, Jesus points to the flowers in the field, the, the lilies, the the wildflowers, sometimes we see them growing when you're driving up on the throughway on the side. It's fascinating. No one tends to them. And, and yet, despite the, the seeming lack of attention they get, Jesus points out there's this kaleidoscope of colors that they produce. That's nothing short of breathtaking. Right? God knows how to put on a fashion show. That's the point. Every day. We wake up, we look outside, and creation showcases this ensemble of colors that the greatest wardrobe designers in the world cannot come close to competing with. God does it all on his own, independent from any kind of human involvement. And once again, Jesus invites us to make this comparison, the lesser to the greater. If that's the way your heavenly Father dresses up the flowers in the field that are here today, that tomorrow are thrown into the fire, then he will clothe you. And he adds this tagline, O ye of little faith. See, the point is that it matters that you know, that we know, that we are convinced to the core of our being that there is a Father in heaven who cares for us. O ye of little faith. I, that's the line that I love. Um, little faiths is the actual translation. I love it because it's a category that I find myself falling into. Probably more times than I'd like to admit. I'm a little faith, right? Any little faiths out there this morning, right? Um, you know, it's kind of it's crazy when I actually stop and think about it. Like, I can... I. I trust God to have paid the price for my sin to reconcile me, to make me right with him for eternity. But then when it comes to day-to-day life, to the basics, like paying the bills and taking care of the things that are before me on a day-to-day basis, I don't, I don't have the faith all the time to believe that he factors into the equation. Sometimes it's a struggle to believe that it's just not up to me to figure all of that out on my own. Like, God, okay, you got the eternity part, but so long as I'm here on earth, it's just me. And that doesn't always work so well. I don't know if you can relate to that. This is the challenge that we deal with on an ongoing basis. And so this instruction um, that Jesus is writing here, it is written for those of little faith, for the little faiths. In other words, This is 101 stuff. This is a beginner's guide. It's not for the spiritual giants, right? So if you're someone who's got it all together, you figured it all out, I'm happy for you. Um, But uh, you can just, you know, kind of take a nap while we're going through this. Um, This is for the ones who have sometimes a hard time believing that God cares. 
right? So if trusting God doesn't come easy to you, if it's something you struggle with, then the good news is that Jesus understands that. He meets you right where you are, and he shows us step by step how to take a next step forward, right? From, from being a little faith to just having a little bit more faith, one step at a time. That's, that's what matters. It's, it's, it's not about arriving at the end. It's about taking a step forward. Um, and the next step forward is always and every time a step of faith. Building up a track record of trusting God. That's the invitation that's laid out here in front of us, to, to trust God not only as the Savior of our souls, as astonishingly wonderful that is and forevermore will be, but also to rely on our Heavenly Father to provide for the everyday needs that we have on a day-to-day basis. And in so doing, to build up this rock-solid confidence that, as the Scripture says, my God will provide all of my needs according to his riches and glory. To believe that my God is the same God who met the Israelites out in the wilderness and fed them manna from heaven. That's the same God who's at work in my life and your life. He's the same God who led the prophet Elijah when there was a famine in the land and there was nothing left and everyone was starving. He led him to the widow who had nothing left barely, but she responded in faith and found out that the flower, the little bit that she had, didn't run out. There was always enough. That's the God who's at work in your life and my life. And when you take that next step, you start finding out that, that worry and trust are they're kind of mutually exclusive things, right? The more we trust, the more we depend on God as our provider, the less of a hold worry has on our lives. Don't Don't miss that. That's a critical thing to understand. The more you trust your heavenly father to fill that role as provider, the less power, the less of a grip worry will have over you. And so let me ask you, provider, whose role is that to fill in your life? Is it yours or is it his? Because the way that we answer that question makes all the difference in the world. If it's If it's up to me, if I'm on my own and I've got to figure it all out myself, then it's guaranteed there will be at the very best, on the very best day, there's going to be a low level of worry in the background of my life all the time. And when things get bad, it's going to go from the background, it's going to be front and center, it's going to be doing a lot of damage. But if my needs are his burden to bear, then there's this choice. We have the option not to stress out about it because God's got it. Now, don't make the mistake. That doesn't mean that we're passive in this process, right? We, we participate, we're responsible, we grab hold of the opportunities he provides, but at the most basic level, provider is his burden to bear, not mine. And, and, and the challenge is that our Father in heaven can't step into that role as provider in our lives until we've actually stepped out of it. And, and that's, that's the challenge. We're scared to death to step out of that role. It's, it's not easy, it's scary, but it's good. 
It's where the war gets won because God is our provider. That's the only reason I think you can ever find that you can have the option of not worrying. See, Jesus says here that worry is an unavoidable reality, he says, for the pagans. And if you don't know what that means, that basically means for non-believers, for the atheists, for the ones who don't have God in their lives. If you don't have God in your life, then you will worry. Because if there's no God, then worrying makes perfect sense. I already said the world's too big. The what-ifs are too many. The variables are way too many. And so if it's all up to you and up to me, then worry is inevitably going to just be a residual effect of reality. But for those who follow Christ... For those who believe that there is a sovereign Father in heaven who knows and who cares, we have the option to not worry by taking those small steps of faith and trusting God to provide for what we need. And in so doing, the passage, it, Jesus' instruction moves from changing our minds to changing our focus, uh, to let ourselves be occupied Instead of with the cares of this world, we're invited to instead be, be concerned with the cares of his kingdom. He sums it up with this amazing promise that he throws out and he's there for us to receive. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's, that's an amazing promise. It says, this is the way it works. You build your life around the things of God, and God will take care of your needs. Not all of our wants, but all of our needs. That's that's amazing. Make God's agenda your main concern, and all the other things, the details, God says, "I'll, I'll I'll take care of those. So you prioritize, and I'll provide. That's That's the deal. That's the offer the Father lays out in front of every Christ follower. And the question is, have we taken him up on that? When you do, when you make him the number one priority, what that does is it opens up space in your life for God to work, right? It's positioning yourself to to a place so God can take care of us. And and if you've done that, you've, you've probably found out, what I found out is that God is a whole lot better of taking care of my life than I am. He just, he's just way more qualified. Um, so if your walk with the Lord has gotten to this place where it kind of feels stale and dry and you don't feel like you're experiencing his presence in your life, there's a lot of reasons that could go into that, but I want to ask you this one question to answer. What's in first place? What are you seeking first? Is it about your worries or his kingdom? Because I've, I've spent a lot of time studying this book and I've looked and I've still yet to find any promise to grab hold of for those who s- seek God second, right? Seek second the kingdom of God. There's no promise for that. Give God your leftovers. After you've got everything figured out, then give God what's left. There's no promise for that kind of living. And if God's not in first place, there's a good chance that worry and stress and anxiety eventually will be. 
Seek it first. Seek it first. As we do that, the, the worry fades. And so that's, that's the invitation for, for little faiths, for, for us of little faith to, to seek first. And that, that starts us out on really a, a ride of our lives. God, God longs to show us how able he is to provide for our needs. Not, like I said, all of our wants all the time, but our needs. Um, not so our will can be done, but so his righteous rule and reign can be extended. And uh, it's, a great, it's a great adventure to be on. Um, I could just tell you so many stories from my own life. I could tell you stories from this church where we have just made decisions to put God first. Um, you know, this church started out in our house. It went from our house to a VFW hall, from the VFW hall to Carmel High School. And we shouldn't be here. Like, we've got this beautiful building in, like, a prime location, eight acres of property. Um, we got a beautiful congregation of people who care. And it's, it's God providing in supernatural ways. And it's been an adventure. And I love that we've been on this. Many of, many of you guys have been here for many years, and you've seen it. You've been on this ride, and you just see God provides in amazing ways. I've seen that in my life. Uh, in our marriage. Uh, There's been times when there's been plenty. There's been times when there's been little, but there's always been enough. And that's the testimony to the goodness of God. God longs to show us how able he is to provide for our needs. And so I I would invite you next time, worry comes knocking at your, at the door of your heart, of your soul, to see that as an invitation from God, from your heavenly Father, as an invitation from him, not to battle that worry, but to bring it to him, to turn to him and to let him bear that burden and watch him bless.